Chapter 8. Beyond the Fifteenth Hole. Commences with a quote by John Wesley. Wherever true Christianity spreads, it must cause diligence and frugality, which, in the natural course of things, must beget riches. And riches naturally beget pride, love of the world, and every temper that is destructive of Christianity. The humorous author Dave Barry once quipped, Although golf was originally restricted to wealthy, overweight Protestants, today it's open to anybody who owns hideous clothing. (laughs) Golf is not the only thing that wealthy Protestants have a close historical affiliation with. A surprisingly large number of modern Christian denominations can trace their doctrinal roots to the 18th century preaching of John Wesley. I don't know whether he was a golfer, but Wesley was one of the Anglican founders of the Methodist Church, and he planted seeds that have grown up into many of today's Protestant denominations. Wesley was an open-air preacher who, although controversial, died with the honour of being one of the best-loved men in England. Many of Wesley's words are recorded for posterity, quite probably because he was one of those rare individuals who sincerely walked his talk. One particular Wesleyan quote, of which there are numerous variations, runs along the lines of, Christians should work as hard as they can, to earn as much as they can, then spend as little as they can, in order to give away all that they can. Challenging words, but wise. However, from other of Wesley's works, we know that he was acutely aware of the whole, as broad and as deep as you can imagine, that exists after the fifteenth word of that sentence. I'm guessing that you're now trying to think back and and count through the words, but let's count the first 15 again. Christians should work as hard as they can to earn as much as they can. They seem to be true words that promote the virtues of diligence, honesty and industriousness. The chasm only becomes visible when we, as inherently selfish human beings, try to take the next steps, then spend as little as they can in order to give away all that they can. At the age of 86, Wesley preached a sermon in Dublin titled Causes of the Inefficacy of Christianity. The heart of his message was that truly biblical self-denial and stewardship were needed if Christianity was to spread more effectively throughout the world. Wesley chastised his listeners by saying they were growing more and more self-indulgent because they were growing rich. He said... Many Christians, in the space of 20, 30 or 40 years, are 20, 30, yea, a hundred times richer than they were when they first entered the society. And it is an observation which admits of few exceptions that nine in ten of these decreased in grace, in the same proportion as they increased in wealth. Indeed, according to the natural tendency of riches, we cannot expect it to be otherwise." But how astonishing a thing is this? Wherever true Christianity spreads, it must cause diligence and frugality, which in the natural course of things must beget riches. And riches naturally beget pride, love of the world, and every temper that is destructive of Christianity. Oh, how truly have I seen that deadly cycle in my life. When, driven by a good Protestant work ethic and a genuine desire to financially support others in need, I worked hard and started to earn an honest income, 
something happened in my heart. A button was pressed. There was no outwardly visible change, just a silent adjustment in my priorities. The pendulum on my heart clock simply swung a little more toward the me side than the other's side. Nothing too dangerous. And later, when I started to earn more than I really needed, I began to think that I should start to save for later in life, for the unknown years ahead. It just seemed right. Instead of staying on the path and using the bridge of faith to cross the 15th hole, that chasm between earning much and spending little, my faith faltered and I started to store up even more than necessary for my family's future. It was also sensible and logical and safe. After all, who could I better rely on to care for my future needs than myself? I simultaneously started to feel a need to upsize my lifestyle. So, instead of following Wesley's advice for the far side of the 15th hole to spend as little as I could, I expanded our spending to consume more of what I earned. It wasn't as though the donations and offerings that I was returning to God were necessarily small during this whole process. I was giving what I considered to be significant support to a range of needs in various corners of the world. It's just that I wasn't spending as little as I could, nor giving all that I could. Yet God, in his unlimited grace and mercy, continued to bless me bountifully in so many ways, all the while giving me the following invitation. Or was it a command? Do not worry about tomorrow. Society, on the other hand, told me that the radical faith required to totally entrust my future to God was pure foolishness. So my pendulum kept swinging between the me side and the other's side. Somewhat invisible to me was the fact that my whole clock tower was beginning to lean precariously toward the me side. I continued to rely too much on myself and to make decisions based on fear instead of faith. I maintained what I thought was a healthy conscience as the Holy Spirit continued to encourage me to return to the narrow path on the far side of the 15th hole. But my obedience to those promptings was irregular at best. New York Times columnist David Brooks made some relevant comments on this subtle leaning clock phenomenon. He was responding to a Washington Post article about a devoted young man who had chosen to work at a hedge fund on Wall Street as a way of earning excess money that he could then use to save the lives of people living in malaria-infected communities. A noble career choice, indeed. The young man's clock was clearly leaning towards the other's side of the room. However, Brooks gave a caring word of caution to the passionate young financial analyst and any of his readers who might be planning to pursue a similar career path. He said, First, you might start down this course seeing finance as a convenient means to realise your deepest commitment, fighting malaria. But the brain is a malleable organ. Every time you do an activity or have a thought, you are changing a piece of yourself into something slightly different than it was before. Every hour you spend with others, you become more like the people around you. Gradually, you become a different person. If there is a large gap between your daily conduct and your core commitment, you will become more like your daily activities and less attached to your original commitment. You will become more hedge fund and less malaria. There's nothing wrong with working at a hedge fund, 
but it's not the priority you started out with. Brooks concluded his column with, If your profoundest interest is dying children in Africa or Bangladesh, it's probably best to go to Africa or Bangladesh, not to Wall Street. There are probably plenty of strong arguments against Brooks's conclusion. I could have led a pretty strong attack myself a few years ago. But hindsight has shown me that there is abundant wisdom in time-proven proverbs such as, By beholding, we become changed. And, you grow like the company you keep. Maybe that's one of the reasons Jesus chose not just to help the poor, or even simply to live with the poor, but actually to be poor. I don't have all the answers. I really love Wesley's words, Christians should work as hard as they can to earn as much as they can, then spend as little as they can in order to give away all that they can. But maybe there's more to it. Most of us do work as hard as we can and earn as much as we can. But we rarely go further. We flail about in the sand trap of affluence and much less time and money is available to give away to those in need. Where are you at? Are you trapped in the sand at the 15th hole? Or do you have the single-minded determination to play right through to the clubhouse? 